Good morning, church. How are we doing today? It's a little saucy out, isn't it? It's going to be a rainforest before you know it. I'm going to be fleeing like Jonah. All right. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Shelbyville Community Church. And whether you are here or not because of, the reason I'm up here is because Pastor Brad, our lead pastor, is actually out on sabbatical. Uh, in the very first week of his sabbatical, uh, I challenge you guys to pray for Pastor Brad while he's out. How are we doing at that? We've been praying for him? Yeah? Okay, um, this is his business, uh, but I'm letting you know. Uh, on the 4th of July, his dad passed away. And that week, he was supposed to head to Colorado with his entire family. They were going to spend the week with his brother in Denver, uh, getting away and enjoying each other. And instead, uh, they planned his dad's funeral. All right? Uh, and then this week, his daughter Jamie had surgery, right? So this has not exactly been a restful sabbatical for him. So I urge you, continue to pray for Pastor Brad as he is out. Can we commit to doing that as a family? Yeah, awesome. Hey, the other thing, uh, every week that we've been in Jonah, I've asked you guys to do a little homework. How many of you read Jonah chapter 3 in preparation for today? Good, I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be a wild one. I said this to first service, right? And I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying this out of anger, but I am going to say this out of love. What would happen if we showed up prepared for what God had for us on Sundays? What if we actually read the text that we're going to be walking through ahead of time and came prepared asking, God, I pray that you would speak to me this morning. What would happen as individuals, what would happen as a church family and what would happen in our community if we came prepared for what he's going to do? And so I urge you for next Sunday, read Jonah chapter four in preparation uh, for Pastor Mike as we close out our study in Jonah. Can we do that? Thank you. Now, last week, we picked up the story of Jonah at the very end of chapter 1. All right, and we saw that Jonah was thrown overboard off the ship that he was on, running from God. We see him sink to the bottom of the sea, and we see that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And it says that Jonah spent three days and three nights inside the belly of the fish, and after three days and three nights, he prayed out to God, and we learned some very important things. The first is that God hears repentant people. That God hears repentant people. This is good news. And then through the rest of Jonah's prayer, we see that a repentant heart, that it recognizes God's discipline. Right? The storm that Jonah found himself in was God's grace on Jonah. God hurled a storm at Jonah to get his attention, to call him back to, to God. To call him back to him because a repentant heart recognizes God's discipline. And then we see that a repentant heart trusts in the redeeming love and mercy of God. All throughout Jonah's prayer, he is praying, I, me, my, over and over and over again. He's talking about his circumstances, but in his prayer, he's continually pointing to the fact that God is merciful and that Jonah can trust in the mercy of God, that Jonah has hope because of who God is. And then we learned that a repentant heart, that it pursues God's presence. Jonah claims, you know what, I've been running from you, and even though I'm running from you, I do understand and I realize that I need to crawl back to you. That your presence is more important than anything I've got going on. That I've been running from you, but I realize that I'm running from the that sustains me. That I need you because a repentant heart pursues God's presence. 
And finally, we see that a repentant heart worships God alone, right? The human heart is an idol factory, according to John Calvin, and I think that that is absolutely true. That idols are things that we put before God. That Jonah had put himself before God and the very call that God had placed on his life, right? Jonah wasn't just running from the call, he was running from God himself, And at the end of that prayer, we see Jonah worship God alone. He actually says, salvation belongs to the Lord and nothing else. Because a repentant heart worships God alone. Now this morning, we're going to see the fruit of Jonah's repentance, right? We're going to see what comes from Jonah's repentance, And my hope is that as we've walked through this story that you guys have picked up on a couple things, right? There's some things that have kind of popped up over and over and over again. And the first is that God pursues sinners. God pursues sinners. Jonah fled and was disobedient and God pursued him in his disobedience. And then Jonah got on a ship and God pursued the sailors through Jonah's disobedience, And then God pursues the people of Nineveh despite Jonah's disobedience. You see, God pursues sinners. This is good news, amen? See, God is jealous for those he created. He's after you. He wants you. And he pursues you because God pursues sinners. The second is that there is a massive contrast between God's heart for lost people and our heart for lost people. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, go to Nineveh, that great city, for their evil has come up before me. God loved the people of Nineveh despite what they had done. God loved them enough to send a messenger to offer a warning about how they were living. For God so loved Nineveh that he sent Jonah, the son of Amittai. That whoever believes his message would not perish. Is this sounding familiar? See, this is God's heart for lost people. This is God's heart for Nineveh. And immediately, we see Jonah's heart for lost people. Jonah runs, right? He gets on a ship and he runs away from Nineveh because he wants nothing to do with Nineveh. To Jonah, these are those people, right? They are evil. They are undeserving of God's mercy. And Jonah knows if he goes to Nineveh, there's a chance that God is going to show them mercy. And Jonah doesn't want it. Jonah's heart towards lost people is this, I want them gone. And then we see Jonah board a ship full of sailors headed in the opposite direction from where he is supposed to go. And God hurls this storm to get Jonah's attention and because of Jonah's disobedience, the storm ends up impacting the sailors on this ship. You ever been through something so hard, something that you have tried to figure out yourself, and over and over and over again, you find out there's no saving yourself? I've been there, and the sailors found themselves in in that position too. Jonah knew that his disobedience was causing this storm, 
But instead of repenting, he goes to sleep below deck. That's Jonah's heart for lost people. I don't care if God kills him in a storm. I don't care if this is because of me. He finds himself sleeping below deck. You ever been in a spot where your sin is affecting other people and you don't care? I've been there before. It says that after Jonah is confronted with his disobedience, instead of repenting, he actually says, I'd rather die than do what God's called me to. Throw me overboard so that I can drown. This is God's, this is Jonah's heart towards lost people. And we see the sailors on that ship turn from their efforts to save themselves to calling out to God to save them. This is God's heart for lost people. And this is Jonah's heart for lost people. I'm going to leave this here. You and I are Jonah. We have seen sinners, and we see God's heart for lost people, and we see our heart for lost people. And I hope that you've seen a glimpse of the real Savior, the true and the better Jonah, Jesus, in this book. It's all over, right? Jonah was sent to Nineveh with a message of warning. Jesus was sent to all the earth with a message of warning. Jonah ran from the difficult calling that God gave him, but Jesus perfectly obeyed the call that God gave him. Jonah was asleep on a ship during a storm. Jesus slept on a boat during a storm. Jonah caused the storm. Jesus had authority over the storm. Jonah selfishly wanted to die to escape the discomfort of his situation to avoid seeing his enemies receive God's mercy. Jesus, in quiet obedience, endured torture and death intended for sinners in order to save them from hell. Jonah spent three days inside the belly of a fish because of his own sinfulness and rebellion. Jesus spent three days inside the belly of the earth because of our sin and rebellion. In the fish, Jonah prayed, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus' name literally translates Yahweh saves, right? Jesus is the salvation of the Lord. Jonah rose from a fish proclaiming a salvation message to Nineveh. Jesus rose from the dead proclaiming a salvation message to all of mankind. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, amen? And finally this morning, we're going to see how God uses his people in the world. We've seen how he pursues people. We've seen his heart for people. We've seen how Jesus is greater than Jonah. And now we're going to see how God uses his people in the world. So this is where we're going to pick up. We're going to start in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. So if you brought a Bible, open up. If you've got your phone, if you want to go to insidesec.org, you can click take sermon notes. We've got the scripture in there. Jonah 2.10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Here's the deal. God always takes you back to where you said no. God always takes you back to where you said no. And then this is beautiful. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Man, second chances are a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen? This is almost identical to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, but instead of fleeing, Jonah goes. Through his repentance, Jonah proves how much he's improved under God. It wasn't until Jonah had preached the gospel to himself that he was ready to preach the gospel to other people because Jonah had to die to himself so that he could resurrect to new life. And through that resurrection, life was the beginning of mission. You see, the sign of repentance is a life of obedience. A sign of repentance is a life of obedience. You don't turn from your sin and continue to sin. You turn from your sin and you obey God. A sign of repentance is a life of obedience. And we're about to see that mission has its roots in resurrection. Right? Jonah resurrected out of the belly of a fish and he began mission. Verse 4. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. All right, now picture this. Right, Jonah has had quite the adventure in getting to Nineveh, hasn't he? He started out, God comes to him, uh, he flees, he gets onto a ship that is in a crazy, crazy storm. He gets thrown off that ship into the sea where he sinks to the bottom. He's wrapped up in seaweed and who knows what else, where he is swallowed by a fish. And he spends three days and three nights in the stomach of a fish being washed over with digestive juices. And then it says that the fish vomited him up onto dry land. Here's the deal. He's not going to be in Cosmo's top, uh, uh, most attractive men of the year, right? This dude's on the cover of The Walking Dead, right? His skin is bleached. It's probably hanging off a little bit. The dude uh, is a little roughed up, so he's walking with a limp, right? Jonah is looking rough. And imagine what he smells like. Sushi ate a man and threw him up. (laughs) You see, our disobedience has a way of humbling us, doesn't it? Our disobedience has a way of humbling us. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, to this great city, walking in with a limp, smelling disgusting and looking a little funky. And it says that it was uh, a three days walk across. That's a big city. Even for, for today's standards, right? To walk three days, man, that's, that's a lot of mileage. It took him three days to get across Nineveh. And it says that he only went a day's journey in. So Jonah's not even at the city center. Like he is not where all of the hot shots are living. He's not at the capital. He's not hanging out where all the elite are. He's just in a random neighborhood and he drops this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's probably the worst sermon I've ever heard. I mean, if I came out here and said, yeah, 40 days in Shelbyville will be overthrown and walked off, you guys would be like, what, what just happened? Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. In English, it's eight words. In Hebrew, it's five. 
Five words, but what happens? It says, the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, for a long time, I used to read this story in Dog on Jonah, and I still dog on Jonah, right? It's been four weeks, and we've done nothing but dog on Jonah. But I used to read this portion, and I would look at Jonah, and I would say, dude, what the heck is wrong with you, man? This city is massive. It's three days' journey, and you're just chilling in a random suburb, and you spit out a pathetic sermon. Like, what kind of half-hearted obedience is this? Like, buck up, man. Be a man. And as I was preparing this week, verse 2 kept coming to mind. It said, and proclaim the words that I give you. He said, I want you to do this here. So that Jonah could offer up this five-word sermon and this whole city could completely turn from their evil ways and believe in God and Jonah could take no claim in any of it. How often do we feel like we've got to have it all together? We feel like we've got to know all the answers, right? We treat God like Pokemon, like you've got to get it all, right? And then we sit around like spiritually and theologically constipated. And we never share any of that news. It just compiles inside of us. Five words. I don't know if you guys have ever seen children fighting. I find it amusing. I'm twisted. But normally when you see two kids fight, eventually a parent or an adult or somebody mature steps in and says, you guys need to knock it off. And I know that I used to fight with my sisters a lot when I was a kid, right? Some of you may have kids that were fighting this morning. And what do parents normally do when their kids get done? They say, you need to say, I'm sorry. And so you awkwardly watch these kids with their arms crossed, just kind of leaning in, like, I'm sorry, right? That's half-hearted. You don't believe that they're sorry, right? And then they go to do the weird hug, and they're like, Ugh. It's possible that that's Jonah. You know, maybe he got somewhat into the city and was like, I really don't like you. I'm going to offer up five words. I'm not even going to say his name. What's interesting, though, is when you start to break down Jonah's five-word sermon, something happens here, right? The very last word in English, it, it's translated uh, overthrown. In Hebrew, it's this word hafak. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm Swedish, right? But it means to overthrow, right? And overthrow, there's actually several different meanings under that. One of them is to overturn, meaning to destroy, right? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, will be overthrown, and at the same time, it means to turn around, to bring repentance. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be either destroyed or it will turn around and be repentant. That is what is buried in a five-word sermon. And it gets a hold of the hearts of the people of Nineveh. You see, both receiving judgment and avoiding judgment are contained in the words of this message. There is both good news and bad news in this warning. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Through Jonah's five-word sermon, we see one of the most powerful men in the region get off of his royal throne, take off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sit in ashes. This man that has almost more power than anyone on earth realizes how insignificant his glory is in relationship to God's glory. And so he puts out a decree for the entire, entire city. Put on sackcloth. I want you to sit in mourning. We see sackcloth in the Old Testament on, and it was incredibly uncomfortable, but you wore this as a sign of mourning. Right? When people passed away, a lot of times they would put on sackcloth so people knew outwardly what was happening inside. In ashes, they were to signify the fact that something has been destroyed, that something has burned down. And so when you sit in sackcloth and ashes, it is an outward sign of inward change, of repentance, that I am mourning my destruction. And this is what we see the king do, and this is what we see him decree to the entire city of Nineveh. And it's not even just for people. He's calling your animals to do this as well. How many of you guys have uh, pets or, or livestock at home? I realize we're in Indiana, so I have to ask that, right? How many of you guys have animals? Yeah. What happens when you don't feed your animals? They get a little loud, don't they? We have a cat, right? I've talked about her. She's saving my neighborhood. And um, if we do not feed our cat before we go to bed, that cat will be on our bed at like four in the morning, a millimeter from my wife's face. And she is no longer a cat, but she is now a demon. <laughs> Things coming out of her are not normal. You guys ever heard a cow moo? You ever been around an entire herd of cows that are mooing? Sounds like somebody's dying. It's kind of painful. Imagine an entire city filled with animals that are calling out in mourning. I want your animals to join in the grief that you should have over your sin. And what's a part of Jonah's message? He says, yet in 40 days, right, 40, we see this number a lot in scripture, 40, there's significance behind it. It's usually related to some type of trial or test or judgment. Now, scientifically, it's been proven that 40 days is about as long as the human body can go without food. Which means when Jesus was out being tested, he was pretty much at the point of breaking physically. So this king is decreeing, I don't want you to eat for 40 days, right? Humans, you're going to be pretty stretched out. Animals, you don't feed an animal for 40, 40 days, it's going to be bad. 
This king's decree is literally saying it does not matter if our food supply dies off. What matters is what's happening between us and God. All of our horses, all of the things that we use for military gain, if they all die off, it doesn't matter in comparison to the trouble that we're in with God. If our income is completely lost, it does not matter because what is at stake is our relationship with God. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be turned over or turn around. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it, all right? This word, hafak, overthrow, either God would overthrow them through destruction or God would overthrow them through repentance. Either way, Nineveh was gonna die to self So what do we do with this? This is cool stuff to know, but what do we do with it? Like we saw God use Jonah in the world of Nineveh. But how is God using us in the world of Shelbyville, Shelby County? You know, I've said all summer that we are Jonah. I don't know about you, but this is my story, right? Jonah... Jonah calls out to God. Jonah repents of his sin. Jonah acknowledges his salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is resurrected, and Jonah becomes obedient to the mission. See, after Jonah resurrected from the fish, he began a life of mission. Church, resurrection is the beginning of mission. For those of you that have put your faith in Christ, that means that you have died to self, that you have buried the old, and that you have been resurrected into new life with him. And at Shelbyville Community Church, we get our definition of a disciple from Matthew 4.19. This says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? Our definition of a disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission for Jesus. And that mission begins at resurrection. That mission begins at the resurrection. If you put your faith in Christ, it means that you have put down your life and picked up his life. It means that you have died to self, that you have buried your old ways, and that you are resurrected in new life. And when the gospel drops on one person, it's called conversion, but when the gospel drops on an entire city, it's called revival. This is what we see happen in Nineveh. You see, God's heart towards Nineveh is God's heart towards Shelbyville, towards Shelby County. And our role in a revival is to evangelize. Uh-oh, he said the E word. He's gonna talk about sharing Jesus and it's gonna get awkward. Yep. Our role in revival, it took Jonah a long time and a lot of disobedience to get to the point where he actually did what God had called him to. But eventually Jonah opened his mouth and you see what happens? A city is filled with revival. 
You know, a part of our all-in discipleship journey are some community projects, right? And we heard a little bit from Mary about what's going on at the Bridge of Care. But here's the deal. If we at the Bridge of Care are helping folks uh, work through addiction, if we're helping them with mental health, if we're helping families grow, if we're helping marriages heal, but we are not pointing people to Jesus, we are wasting our time. If we get the best jobs ministry built and we have the coolest shop with the latest equipment and people are not hearing of Christ, we are wasting our time. If we have a women's home filled with a hundred women and they're all healing and they're all in a safe place but they are not hearing of Christ, we are spinning our wheels. If we've got a whole building filled with little kids at our preschool and they aren't hearing of who Jesus is, what is the point? We meet physical needs to meet spiritual needs. But if the physical stops and the spiritual never begins, guys, we're wasting our time. And honestly, we're wasting your money. Our role in revival is evangelism. You know, after Jesus was resurrected, he gathered his disciples. I love this. And he reminded them of the gospel. He got them all together and he said, you know, I forgive you uh, for what took place around my crucifixion. And, And Thomas, here, check out the holes in me. Like, believe me, I'm here. And then he said, hey, guess what? I defeated death which means I defeated sin because death comes from sin. Now go tell your city about it. Jesus gathered his disciples. He preached the gospel to them, and he said, now go and make this known. Go out making disciples of all nations, baptizing people and teaching them to obey my commands. But here's the deal. I am with you always. Guys, when it comes to evangelism, we've got to remember salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not my responsibility to save my family. It's not your responsibility to save your family. It's not my responsibility to save a single soul in Shelbyville. But it is my responsibility to open my mouth and point them to the one who can. You know what? Despite Jonah's efforts, Nineveh turned from their sin. God worked through a a five-word sermon because salvation belongs to the Lord. When it comes to evangelism, we must remember that faith only comes from hearing. I know I'm going to get pushback on this one. Here's the deal. Two weeks ago, I was in the Colorado Rockies. I was 12,000 feet up on a mountain, and I got sunburned because I'm a moron. And I saw some of the most incredible things I have ever laid my eyes on. I had elk like 25 yards from me. I was up at 4 a.m. almost every morning taking photos of the sunrise coming up, just illuminating the mountains before the sun was even in the sky. And a moose comes walking right next to me. I saw God's creation And I had a lot of wonder and a lot of amazement for who God is, but I did not hear the cross ever in nature. I was in awe of God, but not once did I hear Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins from a tree. 
or a mountain or a moose. That'd be pretty cool, though. Nature's going to tell you a lot of things, but people are the only thing that's going to talk about the cross of Christ. Remember, faith comes by hearing, which means somebody has to say something. You know, 1 Peter 3.15, it says, if someone asks you about the hope that you have as a believer, you see, a life that makes people ask questions should also be a life that's ready to explain when those questions come. So when it comes to evangelism, we have to get the word of God into people's hands. And I'm not talking about being creepy. I'm not talking about getting like a hundred pack of, of uh, I can't even think of the name. Tracks, there it is, right? Getting like a hundred pack of tracks and just leaving them in bathrooms and for your waiter, under your tip. I'm not talking about that. But we need to get the scriptures. We need to get the word of God into people's hands. And I want to tell you this. We have more availability to do it with this stupid box in our phones and in our purses than we ever have in human history. Imagine what Paul could have done with a phone in the internet. Dude was in jail. Dude did all sorts of missionary journeys. Dude wrote half the New Testament. You know what he did it with? A stick. Scribble this down. Church, we have the ability to put the word of God in people's hands like never before. You don't even have to talk to them to do it. We can be cowards and still put the word of God in people's hands. Are you following the church Facebook page? Are you sharing things that we post? Are you writing about things that you learn throughout the week? Today's Sunday, you're in church. I don't know if you've heard anything that you actually want to write on the internet. I don't know. But it's possible that you could say, hey man, in church this morning, I heard this. And you could post it online. You can easily put the word of God in people's hands. Are you inviting people to watch our services online? This is something that we haven't had for most of our existence. It's not hard to share a post. Are you inviting people to come in person? You don't even have to be the one to talk about Jesus. Bring them here. I get paid to do it. <laughs> when it comes to evangelism, we need to pray like crazy. We need to pray like crazy. You know what? Jonah wasn't praying for Nineveh, but Jesus was. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he kept saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he wasn't just speaking about the people that had crucified him. We read in an English translation, and it looks like he said it once or twice, but the reality is he's saying this on repeat over and over and over again. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And he's praying for Nineveh. And he's praying for Shelbyville. And he's praying for you, and he's praying for me, and he's praying for people that don't know him yet. And when we start praying to God that he would save people, we start actually putting our faith with Jesus' faith, and we start putting our prayers with Jesus' prayers for the good of our city. We need to be praying for people. Because I haven't been mean enough this morning. Here's the deal. If God answered every prayer that you prayed this week, would there be anyone new in the kingdom? 
If God answered every prayer that you prayed this week, would there be anyone new in the kingdom or would you have a bigger house and a nicer car and a fatter bank account and would your life be easy and would your circumstances not exist anymore? Man, are we praying for the people that live around us? Are we praying for our family members that don't know Christ? Are we praying for the students in our school system? Are we praying for the folks in our community that are stuck in addiction and have no way to get out? Are we praying for the people that we want to see come to know God? Because Jesus is. Because Jesus is. Man, when it comes to evangelism, pray for those that don't know Christ. And when it comes to evangelism, pray that God would break your heart for those that are far from him. So here's the deal. If you have a hard time loving this city, you're going to have a hard time praying for it. And if you have a hard time loving this city, you're going to have a hard time serving it. And if you have a hard time loving this city, you're going to have a real hard time laying your life down for it. We need to be praying that God would break our hearts for this community. Like Jonah, we've been sent with a message. Like Jesus, are you going to be obedient to that caller? Like Jonah, are you going to run? Because God wants to do something really cool here. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning, thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you that this account is written down and we get to learn from it week after week. And Father, thank you for the things that you've revealed through this story. The truths that have touched my heart and hopefully truths that have touched the other people in our church family. Father, I pray on behalf of our church that you would cultivate a heart for our city that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that you would open our eyes to what is broken in the community, that you would create a new heart in us that wants to see revival happen here in Shelbyville. Father, I pray that you would help us discover how our work and how our giftings and how our passions wire into your city for your glory. And I pray that out of your resurrection that we would live missionally, that we would meet physical needs and that we would meet spiritual needs and that we would open our mouths and that we would proclaim who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray that our community would turn to you. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, most Sundays we have the opportunity to respond. We have the opportunity to sing and worship, but we also have the opportunity to sit and reflect. And for some of you, you find yourself in a storm, right? And maybe this storm is caused by your own disobedience and God's trying to get your attention. For some of you, you're stuck in a storm and it's the result of somebody else's disobedience. Maybe you find yourself in the belly of a fish and you're saying, God, here are my circumstances. In Jonah's prayer to God, there was 23 I, me's, and my's. Jonah was concerned about himself, and he let God know. 
This morning, maybe you need to confess what's going on. Like sailors, you need to realize that every effort that you've been putting yourself to try and save yourself, it's not panning out, and you need to call out and say, salvation belongs to the Lord, and I believe that. Maybe you're bitter and you're hard-hearted towards a particular people group or somebody in this room. Maybe you need to sit and you need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness from God and from that individual. For some of us, we need to pray to God that he would soften our heart for our community, that he would open doors for us to open our mouths and that this city would be a very different place because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's respond.